loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Janine LeBlanc, animal advocate, military veteran, and small business owner, Janine LeBanc founded the Healing Hearts Community to help transform the stigma that often accompanies trauma. As a survivor of abuse, assault, and addiction, Janine learned that her past does not define her and that any limitations the world set for her were no match for courage and self-love. She rose from the ashes of suffering to create the life she knew she deserved. To fulfill a lifelong desire to serve, Janine transformed her Nova Scotia country home into a rescue for dozens of high-needs animals and built a business to afford the cost of loving them. In her book, Healing Hearts Shatterproof, Janine established a place for trauma survivors to tell their stories without shame or judgment. At the heart of all her work is Janine's belief that all beings have the right to live well and to feel safe worthy and free. Welcome, Janine. Cheryl, thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, You know, one thing that stands out about your story is that often, uh, you know, the, the headline of loss is who died, but often there's more than one thing that ends up making that traumatic. And I think you're just a a really good example of that, that, um, uh, and, and I'll ask you to share that story of, you, you know, your own loss in a minute, but obviously just the loss of your mother was not, not everything that made life so difficult and, and gave you things to heal from. Can you, can you share a bit of, um, you know, how you came to need to, think about trauma and, um, you know, what led you to now? What led me to writing the book, more or less? Well, um, I, or let's, let's, start with, let's start with the loss of your mother and, and right. what that was like in your family and what that led to in your family. Yeah, well, the day started out at the beach and, of course, um, a summer day at the beach, holds a lot of people. There was probably 500 people on on the beach the day of the tragedy. Um, my mother went missing at the end of the day, um, and we realized that she was she was gone for you know um, a longer period of time. And uh, my dad started feeling concerned. So uh, what we found out after the fact was that um, she had gone into the water to wash her bathing suit off. And while she was in there, she seen um, a young girl struggling in the current and, um, and she was yeah battling to, to get out. And my mother um, swam towards her and, and got herself caught in the undertow current. And uh, she lost her life um, trying to, and successfully saving the little girl. Um, so it was, 
it was hard to imagine anything like that actually happening to you. If anything, you know, stuff like that tends to happen to people around you. Uh, so, I mean, it was a shock that I know that I personally carried around with me for um, decades. It was something that I didn't know how to um, internalize. Um, I felt like I actually wore a sign for years, like my mom died, because I was only 11 years old. And at that time, um, children had both parents. Um, I, I know in my community, um, it, it wasn't a common thing to have uh, to have lost a parent at such a young age. So uh, when the ambulance pulled up that day, uh, we had no idea that uh, that it had anything to do with our, our own family. Um, we figured it was probably there for somebody else. And uh, the more time that my mom was missing, uh, the more surreal that that moment actually felt. Um, people that were playing around us, they felt um, it seemed like they were more distant, more strangers um, than neighbors kind of thing on the beach that day. And um, it wasn't until the the ambulance drove back um, by us that my dad was sitting um, in a truck behind it, um, and uh, we realized that it was actually our our tragedy that that had been happening that day, and and we didn't know um, how severe the tragedy was at that time. So we just uh, went back to the hospital, and and there she was. Uh, they let us know that she was actually dead. Um, but uh, she, she, I, we're, we're pretty sure that she was even when um, when she was in the ocean. So oh. it was, uh, yeah, it was shocking. It was so shocking. Um, and eleven year olds are eleven year olds are old enough to, uh, as you're as you are uh, exemplifying right now, really remember a lot of details potentially of that experience. And um, I do. And I guess, I guess as someone who works with trauma a lot, I'd say that's good news and bad news, right? <laughs> um, at, if you know what happened, if you remember what happened, you have a starting point on processing it, but also what a painful memory to have. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, um, there's a lot of good that came out of the whole trauma, you know, of that day. Uh, for instance, um, I had uh, searched out my mom's name for quite some time, and uh, at the beach and surround, you know, the the city that surrounded, and uh, just trying to find anything more on what happened on the topic. And uh, I came across um, a short story that was written in a book uh, by um, Leslie Choice, who's also a writer in the book. Um, an author. He's a well-known author, actually, here in uh, in and around uh, Atlantic Canada and and further. Um, but he was actually um, the man who tried to save my mom's life uh, at that day on the beach. And because I, I recognized his name, I reached out to him after reading a story that was from his perspective and and trying to save her life. And um, um, like I, I feel like I met an angel mm. that day when I did reach out to him and realize who who it was. 
Um, so, I mean, you know, and he's a, a, a small part of my life right now because he did, um, you know, share a story um, in the book about his experience. And yes. so, yeah. And, and including um, the the note that you sent him just acknowledging his efforts to try to get better lifeguarding and um, right. your appreciation of his attempt even and and that seemed very important in a grief context that you don't have any question. First of all, you know what your mom was doing in the water. And you know that he really tried to save her. Everything was done, right? <laughs> and although that right. doesn't that doesn't change what happened, I do feel people sometimes plague themselves with what could have been. Uh, you know, that that it's a helpful thing to to know that it was just a, a terrible accident and there wasn't some thing that could have changed it. He he did his best and she did her best. He did his best, yes. But you know, at the same time, you like growing up and through the years I heard of so many different circumstances where people were revived. Um, after being pronounced dead and drowning. So that kind of stuck with me for a while. And, and I think because it was just such a sudden uh, traumatic experience that I, I looked for her face for years in crowds. Like it wasn't, it was almost like I couldn't accept that that actually happened to her. Sure, sure of course. Right? Yeah. And also, so, I mean, even it, though... it didn't, it also didn't seem as if, um, you can tell me more about this, but the impression I got is that your dad was not really equipped to help you uh, with your grief. And of course, many, many parents still aren't, but especially weren't, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the idea that kids grieve, that they don't just go for, go on. Right. And that they need right. special support. That's a relatively recent realization um, do you right. feel as if there was anyone who actually helped you with your loss as a kid, or did you just pretty much have to wait until right. you got more grown up to process it? Yeah, well, we grew up in a seriously dysfunctional and abusive family, and um, my dad was no support system at all. Um, in fact, uh, He'd gotten rid of everything my mom owned just after um, her death, and um, including our family dog. She was euthanized because my mom loved her so much. Mm. Um, so everything mm. that we had of her surrounding us disappeared. And um, her, she was in, um, from New York, and uh, the. Um, service was held down there and we weren't uh, invited along either. So we, we had no closure. We had no support system. And uh, so this is definitely one of the reasons why we carried um, the pain with us as long as we did. And uh, well, not only that, but uh, when he got back, um, my father was in the military. And so um, he had put in for a uh, grievance posting. So we were uprooted from our home and uh, moved into a different location um, where we didn't have that support. It, he did, but we, we didn't. And um, 
and quite honestly, it was before even the end of the year. So um, he was, he remarried in December um, of the same year, so not even six months later. Um, mm. So I mean, we were forced into a new family on top of that, and uh, yeah, it was it was really difficult because we were, you know, still dealing with his abuse. Um, we were not allowed to grieve our mom at all. Um, in fact, when we when we did, um, he uh, he he literally beat us. So, and I think it was through his own guilt um, that he acted like that. Um, yeah, I think that he just didn't know how to internalize maybe his own pain or um, mm-hmm. and and like I said, probably guilt on top of that. So mm-hmm. he didn't didn't want to hear us say that we miss our mom or. Um, or, you know, how, how, how we felt about it at all. But, I mean, we were, we were closed. We were shut down, um, from showing any emotion and, uh, and forced to accept our new lives. And of course, that's pretty familiar to me as a grief counselor. I mean, many people come to see me in, as adults, uh, having suffered the loss as a child and and the story you're telling is more common than not. In fact, I can't remember a time that someone has come for an early loss like that where they've felt that they were well supported. Um, and so then I feel as if people get left with the impression that kids are going to be permanently messed up, right, by a loss. But that that isn't actually so if there's proper support. So some point came in your life where I, I could imagine you got ready to kind of deal with it and go and have the feelings that you hadn't had a chance to have. Is that fair to say? How, how old did you have to get before you could start to grapple with the loss? Well, um, I was quite a, it was quite a while, actually, because uh, prior to... Well, I guess in a way, how I did deal with the loss was through addiction. That was the that was the only tool that I had. So I became a, a very lost soul, and uh, I didn't want to feel that pain of losing, you know, my mom at such a young age, and and uh, I also didn't know how to deal with the um, the years of abuse uh, in our family. So for various reasons, um, I felt like everything just started crashing down and and uh, I became a hardened human being and that's the only way that I knew I could make it through. Um, so I, uh, I went through probably a decade of, of uh, hard drugs and gambling and uh, doing things that I, I never dreamed I would ever, ever do and... Uh, I um, yeah, it took me a lot of years to to rise above any of this. Was but that, when I finally did, f- did, oh, go right ahead. When you finally did, yeah, when I finally did, I mean, it it took um, it took knowing that uh, I deserved um, a better life, and uh, and a lot of soul searching. I had to uh, reconnect with my child self and, and uh, do a lot of inner healing that way. You kind of give yourself what, what you hadn't been given. Yes. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Exactly Mm -hmm. that. 
Yeah. Was the addiction? Do you, do you feel the addiction was modeled? You know, did your dad drink or do drugs, or uh, or was it more just the fact that he shut all the feelings down? Yeah, he he was not an addict in, in any shape, way, or form. But addiction does run in my family. Um, I, we were lucky enough to have that. It, he there was never that excuse for his abusive behavior, right? Um, so no, it was, uh, it was, it was myself and, you know, I have, uh, I had another sibling or have another sibling that lost himself in the same way. Um, so it did run through the, the children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a way, uh, not when you're a kid, but when you grow up, if you have the realization that your parent was an addict, um, you, you know, you weren't relating to the person, right? But you're, I like the way you put it. Your dad didn't have that excuse. He was just acting badly and un, well, unlovingly. He had mental health him. issues. Yeah. He had different mental health issues. I, I don't know if, I don't think he ever learned because he didn't, he didn't ever go to counseling or, or anything mm -hmm. like that to, to be diagnosed. But, um, but yeah, he had some pretty severe uh, mental health issues, we believe. Do you feel it was the same before your mother died and after? Or did that change his behavior? Mm-hmm. Was... Um, his... Go ahead. Yeah, I just wondered, you know, um, sometimes people are, are headed in a certain direction, but not so strongly and then something happens and it really pushes a person over the edge and i just wondered if that was part of the story for him right and that's a that's a really good question no um ever since each of us turned about four years old is when my dad started um abusing us so it was just an ongoing thing from mm. you know four years old until we left the house so that must have been terrifying I to to be now left with one parent who was already abusing you yeah, that was that was one of the worst times uh, right after right after mom passed away and when my um when my stepmother um was coming into our family, uh, we weren't we weren't excited about it for so many different reasons. But one was we feared for her also and that mm -hmm. she had a daughter and I remember uh warning her sitting in in our bathroom and having, uh, you know, probably our first ever um, heart-to-heart. And uh, I, I told her uh, who my dad was and that he, uh, that he had a really bad temper. And, um, and as she said, well, she said, sometimes I can have a really bad temper too. <laughs> well, oh my gosh. that scared me even what more, courage. right? And well, what I mean, courage it <laughs> must have taken to say that to a grown-up. I, I want to hear more about that, but we're going to go to a break and then come back to it. Listeners, you'll find links okay. to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to, to find Janine LeBlanc, go to her Facebook group, Healing Hearts Shatterproof. Be back soon.
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring Better Help. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Janine LeBlanc about her book, Healing Hearts, Shatterproof. And, and Janine, before the break, you were telling me something that, that was, was notable, uh, that when your dad uh, got involved with your stepmother, you actually tried to warn her about his behavior. Uh, she, she didn't listen, which isn't that shocking, but it is unusual for someone so young to take that chance you know he she could have told him i mean i'm sure you were fearful of him um she, <laughs> what do you think gave you that and it went bad <laughs> <laughs> i i can imagine but something in you yeah. just just wanted her to know yeah yeah, it was really, you know, and I'm looking back at that age, so I'm looking at it from a different perspective, hindsight now. And, um, I, yeah, it did take a lot of courage to do that. And I, I was definitely putting, you know, her well-being before my own by letting her know. And the reason I say that is is because when she was around, my dad was in the impressive, impressing stages. And so he was, uh, he was loving, right? He was very loving, um, and he definitely wanted to, um, uh, you know, he, he, she was actually his high school sweetheart. And mm. um, I have a, a very strong feeling, and it came through my my relatives, that they uh, had an affair go on. on. Um, uh, before, and, uh, before, your, before your mother yeah, died. Yeah, and, and I was also told that, um, that they were um, going through a divorce, right? So it's something that I would not have known at 11 years old. But my mom was planning on moving us kids down to New York to be with her and her family. Uh, so, I mean, our that, life that must have been still, completely different. 
you know, grief doesn't go away. That must still be kind of heartbreaking to see how differently that could have gone for you. Um, you know, we obviously move forward from <laughs> these these things, but um, that's that's quite a poignant um, fact of your life, isn't it? That she was in the middle of trying to get out of that situation when she died. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We all would have been uh, living in a whole new world had, uh, had the accident not happened. Um, you know, all, there's so many different things like that could have happened, but you know, we will obviously never get to see that. So um, no, yeah, but... it was, it's just so sad. But what struck me about the stories in, in your book, moving to your book a little bit, is that when, when you've taken on your own traumas and, and healed, there's a way you can hear all different kinds of stories about trauma open-heartedly. You know, you, you didn't go for, uh, you went for the depths of people's experience in the book you, you edited. Uh, obviously, it includes your story too, but um, the the people that you included have all different types of traumas, addiction, uh, childhood abuse, uh, death, you know, miscarriage, etc. But I would say that they all have felt deeply their traumas, uh, and I, I imagine you're able to be open to that because of your own experience. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that I really realized is that, you know, you, you have to be um, authentic to reach people who, you know, absolutely need help or, or that are lost souls. And um, I've never met more courageous people in my life than I have with this group of, uh, you know, courageous people. And, um, I'm, uh, I'm entirely grateful for the, the stories that they shared and they, they're never easy to write down, you know, when you're, when you're going through the history of, of the trauma. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a really, you know, deep and hard, hard thing to write. It's a, it's a hard, hard time to get through. So let's let's talk a bit about how your group came to be. So you had this childhood loss as well as abuse, which is another type of loss in my in my estimation, you know, uh, the loss of what should have been and was not. Um, and then you got to the point after trying to avoid it in all kinds of profound ways, you got to the point of dealing with it yourself. And of course, most people who have something like that to deal with don't immediately have gifts to give, right? <laughs> you kind of have to deal with yourself no. for a while. But then how did you start feeling called to um, be a resource for other people? It was a long healing process. Um, I, uh, I think for me, I had to start by finding forgiveness um, in the many things that I've, I'd been through personally. Um, and uh, there was, I traveled down a lot of avenues um, to 
begin to lift that weight off my shoulders. And um, it took, yeah, it took a very long time to, to begin the healing process. But once I was in it, I, I began to understand a lot more um, about what I personally went through and, and I could feel, you know, that other people uh, who were also lost um, at one time needed a platform to share their, to share their stories also. And so, uh, at the start, it was just about creating uh, a, a, a place to share stories. Yes? It, yes, yeah. It was definitely a place to share stories, but um, in all actuality, it was, it was becoming a book right away. Um, I decided that I wanted to write my own book is where it actually started. Um, mm-hmm. I began my own biography. I started actually writing when I was an addict and, um, and I wrote it over a 10 year period and I, I was pretty much done the book. And, um, before I finished it, I was approached by, uh, a friend of mine who was, um, going to write a chapter for an anthology called Sacred Hearts Rising. And I, and that's put out by Brenda Hammond and I contacted Brenda Hammond because I was, um, I was, uh, interested on, in finding a, I guess a bit of a stepping stone, right. into putting my own book out, maybe start with a chapter and see, see how I felt about everything. And, and, um, so I wrote my chapter and, and added it to her book, but through that process, I, I really realized how much more powerful it felt felt to me uh, by sharing so many um, different types of stories to help, you know, uh, so many different people out there. There's a lot more people that can identify with these various stories rather than just my own, right? So I just felt Mm -hmm. like it was completely selfless and and, uh, probably more, like I said, more helpful. And and I'm guessing, so this period, you know, when you realized you had things to deal with and, you know, then put time into actually trying to address that, I'm guessing that there, you know, each person I encounter anyway has things that particularly help them in that process. And it's not the same for different people. What would you say helped you the most in, in kind of coming to terms with what had happened in your family? Um, one big thing was um, I was in a Reiki session, and um, and this is actually uh, one of the co-authors of my book. She's a Reiki master. And so I went to see her when we were living in the same city, and um, she walked me through a meditation while I was there, and uh, this meditation will say it brought me down a set of stairs, and on the on the, my right side, she said, "What do you see?" And I saw a bench. I went to sit on this bench, and uh, and uh, there was a lake in front of me, and uh, I, I felt very much like I was in this scenario, and I'd never experienced anything like this before. Um, she said, uh, "Invite someone to sit beside you," and so I invited my mom. And my mom mm. came and sat beside me on the bench, and uh, she said, "What would you like to say to her?" And I and I said, 
the first thing that came to me, it, and and I blurted it out, was, why did you leave us? And um, her response to that, I knew didn't come from my own heart um, because it wasn't what I expected. She said, I, I left you because I loved you. And it was in, it was in those words that I believe were from her that changed um, a lot of the course of my um, my future because I, I realized that she wasn't meant to be here with me and that I, I was meant to be here to grow in my own way and to do this on my own. Um, so it was a really powerful moment. Um, so that's just one of the things that... Uh, that helped me spiritually um, through the, the loss of her and um, and just in moving forward in general. Mm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and another one is um, I, I do sculpting um, and uh, I do, um, I'm doing a, an owl actually on my wall and I call it my forgiveness owl uh, because I have a story behind my, my father also. My father had passed away. He died of a heart attack at 52 years old. So he, he was gone in my 20s. So he wasn't around for, for a very long time in my life either. Um, so, I mean, I've been working at forgiveness uh, for, for many, many years, um, you know, for our childhood. And uh, so I've, I've been working at this forgiveness owl. Um, and the reason I picked an owl is um, when he did pass away, my young brother was living with him. Um, in Saskatchewan, and so I, I, I drove across uh, from Calgary to uh, to pick him up. And when I got to his house, um, I seen a picture of the, an owl on his wall, and I said, Tim, I said, I'd really like to have that. And um, and so I, I put it in my, my Jeep, and Tim put his stuff in my Jeep, and we started our troubles back. And I asked him, I said, did you ever see an owl before? And he'd said, no. He said he'd never seen one. I said, you're going to see one on the way back. And didn't we see six owls? We saw six owls. They were all sitting on the mm. telephone mm. posts. And, of course, in, in Saskatchewan, you can see them for miles away, right? It's like, mm. I think that's right. another one coming. And it was and it was just so surreal. And, and I knew that was my dad there because, I mean, that's I, I, it was that surreal that it, it just felt impossible. In fact, I wondered if everybody else in the cars around were seeing them too, right? Um, <laughs> you even there, questioned you know, whether they were really home. there, huh? It's interesting right? because yeah, or because my yeah. uh, I have a lot of native friends who would say owls um, are uh, harbingers of death, like they're they're conduit to to death um, in certain traditions. So that's yeah. it's interesting yeah. that it was an owl <laughs> to me. Right, that seems meaningful. Yeah. It was. It was very meaningful, yeah, because I felt like he he stayed with us for a while, and um, you know. So I mean, my doing the the sculpture of um, of the owl on my wall that that's part of very much part of my healing process, and I'm hoping actually that it's part of his healing process too, because I've really felt like he got stuck a bit on the other side, um, you know, with that, with a lot of uh, guilt and, and remorse for the things that he'd done on this side. And uh, so, I mean, a, a lot of it is um, is about forgiveness, and and uh, it's not an easy thing after you know, after a, a, an entire childhood of of dealing with things that you know, seeing and feeling, and you know, the fear and 
and pain, right? So it, it's it's yes. definitely a process of of it's, you know it, forgiveness is what I believe. It's interesting what you're saying because I've had the experience many many times over the years with clients that uh, when the person who's harmed them dies, the relationship um, that's been stuck in one place actually sometimes changes, it moves. Um, I think it can be, if someone has been very damaging to you, it can be very hard to forgive them when they might still hurt you. Uh, even though, of course, we can protect ourselves in other ways, right? I, I still right. find sometimes that's a holdup on forgiveness um, that isn't there once a person is no longer living. Did, was that true for you, do you mm-hmm. think? Well, it, it, it is um, because I never got the closure. And when I tried to talk to him about it when I was an adult, um, he, he, he didn't acknowledge that he'd done anything. Um, so it didn't, it didn't help my healing process. Uh, but yeah, so I was really left to, to figure it out on my own. But I learned and, that it's not an impossible thing, right? That's the thing. I learned right. that it's not impossible. Um, it can be done. Um, now I, I, where I live and this has been a huge help for me too. I actually took myself out of the city. I moved myself out into an acreage out in the country. I'm surrounded by nature. Um, I live alone here and have for, you know, and have for a, a long time. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, in silence, I, I, I heal, you know, and, and like I said, animals, my animal rescue has been a healing, you know, uh, support system for me. And, uh, so that's, there's so many different ways to heal. Um, but you really got to open your heart and, and go with the flow, right. And see where life takes you with, with an open heart to, to be well, it able does, to it does um, seem, find joy. It does seem as if relationships with animals, um, can be very magic for lots of people. Um, I know there's, there's. Yeah. In my area, there's a woman who does um, trauma, uh, works with kids who've been traumatized. Um, She has horses and works with kids, Um, you know, and just there's just you don't have to worry about the human trust factor with an animal. You know, whatever they're doing is not personal. Uh, Let's come back and talk a little bit more about that, because because your relationship with animals seems important for us to take a little more time with. Uh, Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief Host page to find me. And Janine LeBanc can be found at her Facebook group, Healing Hearts Shatterproof. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Janine LeBlanc about her book, Healing Hearts, Shatterproof, and about her own healing heart. And before the break, Janine, um, we were ju- we had just kind of touched on your relationship with animals. And I was, I was saying that um, it, it made me think of a local person here who, you know, um, works with kids who've been traumatized by put having them work with her horses. Um, of course, there are many, many programs like that all over the place. And for you, it's about um, having a refuge for animals who maybe have been traumatized. But I wondered if you could share a little more about what that what those animals do in your life and uh, kind of the meaning for you of having those relationships with your animal world. Yeah, honestly, quite honestly, I think because of what I've been through in my life, I've become uh, a very, very compassionate person um, and empathetic. And uh, when I moved out to the country here, I came here with two cats and um when I was getting settled in, I noticed that there was um, some other cats that were coming through my yard um, starving. And so I started feeding feeding them, helping them out. And uh, it wasn't long before I learned that this community had over 100 feral cats that were out in the woods trying to survive. So I started a program, a trap-neuter release program, and uh, I had them all uh, fixed and uh, and. Uh, released here in, in the community again. Um, and so uh, they they were actually uh, coyote snacks, to be honest, because, you know, that's that's what was here and that's what was happening. And so <laughs> I ended the up... The cycle uh, of life, huh? A lot of, it, it, it's a very sad one, a very, very sad one to, to experience, for sure, um, seeing it happen. And uh, I got as many out to the SPCA here that I could. And... Um, for the babies, they uh, you know that were feral. They said that they they wouldn't be able to you know take them because people wouldn't be able to handle them out of the cages and whatnot. So I did put quite a few inside, um, and, and uh, every time I put another one in, I, I knew I was over my limit. But I knew if I didn't do it, that they were going to uh, they're going to die. So um, I ended up with quite a few of those, and I also have. Um, um, a raccoon community that that come and visit me um, all night, every night, and um, 
yeah, I've become part of the raccoon family, I think. They have a lot of trust for me, and and I um, I I won't say work with Hope for Wildlife here. It's it's uh, well known actually. That they also have a TV show uh, across Canada. Um, they they help out um, wildlife uh, in our community, and so I'm able to get support from them for you know the wildlife that I I tend to care for. So it's a, it's something that works out really well. Um, yeah, they bring me joy. That's a, that's the big thing. They bring me joy. Yes, they cost me a lot of money, but they uh, <laughs> they put a smile on my face every day. And I've learned uh, a lot about living through them and uh, energy and communication, and you know, and that we're actually not that uh, that far apart. <laughs> you know, we're all here just trying to survive. So, um, you know, I'm pretty honored to be able to help them uh, make it to tomorrow. Right. Absolutely. I'm thinking about how uh, when I'm doing this show, for instance, there's something so healing about using my experiences to help someone else, Uh, you know, listeners, but also sharing with with the people that come on the show with me that it's sort of as if my, my experience has been redeemed in a way. And I have the fantasy that, you know, these are helpless creatures like children, right? And that because of what you've been through, you, you feel called to, to help them, to nourish them, to sustain their lives, to be loving towards them. And that I wonder if that isn't a similar thing for you to what I experienced doing this, that it kind of, Re- redeems all the difficult stuff you went through. Well, yeah, I, I think 100%. It's it's our purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I believe in every my heart of hearts that my purpose is is to be here exactly where I am, helping these guys out. And and, and also uh, making yourself safe in the meantime. You know, uh, one thing that did stand out with a lot of the people that shared in your book is how important it was to get geographically safe in terms of their healing, uh, to have a safe home or to have, you know, to be in a safe location. Uh, And it, and it touches me that for you, that was, you know, kind of down a dirt road by yourself. That's what feels definitely. Yeah. Safe. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I I want to mention too, that uh, one of the co-authors, Sharice Thompson, she uh, she also does animal rescue. Um, she's just as empathetic and compassionate as I am, um, and uh, she she'd been through you know a horrific experience, um, and uh, you know she she understands um, you know the power of love and, and healing and you know and uh, yeah she's just an amazing woman and. I yeah I have so much um, uh, gratitude for for our friendship. We we've never even actually met before. Um, I found actually a story her story, and I, I reached out to her, and um, and we've been friends you know ever since. That's and interesting because I was curious. I, I was curious uh, how you found your authors. You know, I, I assumed yeah. some of them, you know, 
became part of your online community and maybe that's how, but it sounds as if there's a variety of ways that people found their way into your book. Could you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, yes. Um, Yeah, I reached out in magazines. I reached out on a billboard (laughs) um, for writers um, and uh, anything that, um, you know, I found write-ups or I was really looking for powerful, inspirational stories um, that the world needed to hear. And um, yeah, it it took a lot of searching to find the stories that I, I wanted and uh, I, yeah, and I did form some, some wonderful relationships through them. And I mean, you know, the amount of courage, like I said, they, these, these women and men had to share, um, is, uh, it's rare. I think it's really rare. Um, cause it's, you know, like a lot of people have a story, but you know, it's, it's, it's not that easy to share, you know? And, uh, it's it's just a selfless, so selfless um, mm-hmm. to want to help somebody else through your own tragedy, right? Yeah. Well, so. and it, but it's also um, to me, it feels as if, and maybe I'm projecting my own experience here. Uh, when I when I kind of uh, came to terms with this is my story, I became my my own friend about it. Um, it actually was hard maybe at first to share my story, but the more I did it, the more helpful I found it. And so the same thing that serves other people serves me too. You know, I, I don't, I I don't think it's entirely selfless because it, it nourishes and feeds me so much um, to, to share. Uh, and so I, I can't imagine not doing that in my life anymore. I, and I wonder if maybe that's part of it too, that there's something healing about walking out of the shadows and, um, getting past whatever shame you might have about your story. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. So that's familiar to you as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And especially, um, in the book that's coming out, cause we are doing a book too, that'll be out in 2022. Um, uh, some of the same writers are, are also writing in, uh, in the second book and, uh, we're digging deeper than we did in the first book <laughs> because we, we really realized, you know, that, uh, you know, to dig deep and, and like I said, just to be as authentic and, and real, that's how we're going to, you know, reach the people that, that need to be reached. You know, that's interesting. You're saying that because, uh, for instance, if I'm reading a, a, a memoir, let's say about something very painful, um, the more painful detail the, the author shares, the more inspired I feel by the book. Uh, as long as it doesn't leave me there, obviously, but um, most people who are willing to share those kind of details don't leave you there because that's not where their story ended. But there's something right. about really hearing um, what exactly was bad, right? What what exactly right. hurt and where that went, that is, I find, so inspiring. Um, yeah. 
And, you know, obviously I do because I do this show. <laughs> Otherwise, you right. know, I would I be doing general, something else. The world's kind of turning like that anyway. Like, I think people are, are um, hoping to hear more of the real truth than the Hollywood truth. I I hope that's true. And then sometimes the real the real truth kind of um, gets into the Hollywood truth a little bit. For instance, I just the other night watched a movie called The Starling. Uh, I wasn't expecting that much, but it was a grief movie that actually had grief in it. You know, that where things okay. where a <laughs> right. loss happened and people felt terrible and right. things went wrong and, you know, and right. um, mm-hmm. yes, it was a it was redeemed, but not completely fixed. You know, at the end, the people right. weren't like uh, all back to normal, quote unquote. Right. They were changed. They were changed. I find that so refreshing. Uh, I'm looking around for movies like that, for sure, or books or anything yeah. else. So I think you're right. right. I yeah. Th- yeah. E- even this show was uh, people were listening when I first started and it was only the subject. No one knew me, you know, so I think people are sure. kind of looking for the real true stories out there. I agree with you. Yeah. So, yeah. I was watching. I have a friend that does Christian films. And uh, that's what that's their focus um, is uh, is exactly what I said, um, you know, showing showing the authentic truth um, as the way it is rather than, you know, Hollywoodizing it. Yeah, it's It's out there. uh, It's coming. (laughs) Well, and I, I mean, Media is curated, period. Not so much this show because it's yeah. a conversation, but, you know, it's a f- conversation with a focus. But let's be real in the meantime, huh? <laughs> right. uh, I hope people yeah. will go read read what you're what you're sharing in the world, your own story in particular, but also the other the other authors that you're including. And uh, oh, I'll, look at, I'll look out for your next book. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. And let me say that um, our book is available on Amazon.com in the U.S. and .ca in Canada. Uh, it can be bought in in um, paperback or... Easy to find. Healing Hearts <laughs> Shatterproof. Thanks for right. being here. There it is. Yes. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Very much. Next week, I'll have Diana Cooperschmidt. We'll be talking about her book, Emma's Laugh, and what the 18 years of her daughter's life living with disability taught her. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.